up, TRP podcast listeners? Thank you so much for carving out some of your your ride, your time at the gym, your relaxation, whatever you're doing as you're in this moment. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are continuing in our sermon series, James the Sage. This is week 13. And actually, we've kind of we've pressed pause on James the Sage as we, as a church, enter into the season of Advent. Uh, we're actually going to be preaching four weeks around the theme, Do Not Fear. However, my plan is to get in front of a microphone and preach the remaining three or four sermons from the book of James. Uh, so I don't know anything about time frame, but hopefully that will be up before uh, Christmas, and I'll try to release them as as I get them. So this is chapter four in the book of James. We only read a couple of verses for this talk. Uh, this is uh, chapter four, verses 11 and 12. They say this, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word of God for the people of God. Now, this is one of those texts that doesn't really need much commentary from me or any pastor, really. I mean, James has us at the very first line. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Literally, the verb here is do not engage in evil talk about one another or against one another. In the text, James is likely focusing not so much on generalities, but rather a form of libel. Scott McKnight clarifies this verb's in, intent. The sense of the term is speaking accusingly, falsely, degradingly, dishonorably, and with libelous or slanderous intent in order to label a person as dangerous or unworthy. The message then, it's, it's clear enough, right? You don't need me to say much about it, even though I've just rambled on for the last minute or so about it. So just, just stick with me. The, the point is clear. Don't slander. Don't talk evil about your brother or sister. Don't be disparaging or degrading or dishonorable. Don't label people, right? Okay? Are we good here? Don't do those things. We all, we're on board, right? Okay. Go in peace. No, I'm just kidding. And that, that joke, it works a little bit better when you're in person because you already can see that my minute count is way beyond this. So, spoiler alert, you know, whatever. You know that even if uh, I was trying to do this, I can't let myself off the hook that, that easily. Though sometimes I do wonder how much more influential a sermon of eight words or less would, would be. Just just think of everything that you go through, even to put in your earbuds. Like, it takes a little bit of effort. When I was preaching this live, I said things like, you've, you've actually left your home, which is difficult because it's, it's in the middle of a pandemic. And you've left your home to worship together, to be edified by our time of corporate prayer and reflection, and also by the sermon that is, that's offered. I do think it's odd that in our larger culture, we've 
privileged the sermon as the main course of the American church experience, where churchgoers sit expectantly waiting to hear a message that hopefully has been carefully crafted, well-researched, rhetorically satisfying, and is also hopefully moving and encouraging and inspiring, if not also simultaneously convicting and challenging. In a somewhat surprising 2017 survey, participants listed sermons that teach people more about Scripture and sermons that help them connect with their, their faith as the two most important factors leading up to church attendance. And in a 2016 survey, the quality of sermons was the number one factor leading people to select a new church home. So just imagine the scene here with all of the, the, uh, the onus that is placed on the giving of the sermon. Imagine the scene where a minister ascends to the high pulpit, where we meet on Sunday evenings at Asbury. It's pretty fancy. Uh, They have a high pulpit. They have a huge organ. They have all sorts of uh, ornate church furniture, sacred furniture, if you will. Uh, It's it's really swanky, a lot of marble and granite and those sorts of nice, nice things. So a minister would ascend to the high pulpit. Uh, And then says into the microphone, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. And as quickly as he or she took their place to deliver this terse sermon, they would descend, ushered off by the majestic sounds of the pipe organ. Now, Now, I'm not sure if that would satisfy the quota for teaching attenders more about the Bible or connecting the Bible to their life, but it would be a pretty novel approach to preaching. I, at the very least, doubt that you would forget a sermon like that or a podcast like that that was roughly 30 seconds or so. And honestly, the Bible's words are sometimes clear enough to warrant such a sermon. And on the surface, at least, that's what we have here in these few verses from the book of James. But despite the text's immediate relevance— which is legit. It's, it's there. Uh, don't slander one another. I would say that there's at least a little bit more we could say about this passage. Indeed, we are prone to slander. We are prone to speaking accusingly, falsely, degradingly, dishonorably, with libelous and slanderous intent in order to label a person as dangerous or unworthy. That is, that is something that happens. Now, exactly why this is the case is more difficult to answer. I would say that we're on somewhat safe ground admitting that we are prone to comparison. And in response, we're prone to personal attacks. And underlying all of that, we're motivated by self-preservation, self-justification, self-promotion. It may not always feel that way, But as Luke Timothy Johnson suggests, slander serves both to lower the neighbor and to elevate the self. It takes away status from another and ascribes it to the one doing the slandering, who poses as the superior judge. It is, in microcosm and in secret, the perfect exemplar of life as competition. Think about it. We slander because in our minds and in our deepest desires, we are smarter or because we are better 
or because we are more careful, more productive, more prodigious, more reasonable, more logical. In the Christian world, we are more holy, more acceptable, more right or correct, more orthodox. At root, in our slander of others, are the the things that we want to believe or the things that we actually do believe about ourselves. In fact, such evil talk is often just as much about us as it is about the people we are talking about. We point out the flaws of others in order to elevate ourselves. We may not be much, we might say, but at least we aren't that. And this, seemingly, is what James wants to address in this passage. He writes, Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. Which, okay, th- this, this line here, it's a bit weird, admittedly. It's, it's wordy. It takes us to unexpected places. It's certainly less straightforward than the initial command, don't slander. We, we get that more immediately. Now, it's important to remember that James is not talking about simple gossip of the garden variety. Things like, can you believe what so-and-so did? Or, did you see what Sussenschutz was wearing? Uh, can you believe who so-and-so voted for? Like, these sorts of things that you might find... Uh, at the, the bar or the restaurants or whatever, when people gather and they just begin to talk about those who, who aren't there. This, of course, is wildly inappropriate. But James is more interested in our judgments that go to the core of someone else's being, someone else's actual worth. According to James, in his audience's slander, they are judging the Torah deciding which laws to uphold and which to break, and in so doing, they are placing themselves in the role of arbiter and judge. They are, as McKnight would say, usurping God's role. They're judging, they're condemning, they're deciding who's in and who's out. So in Leviticus 19, which is a chapter that's been really meaningful for James, sort of under the surface of a lot of his teaching here, this is where the uh, love your neighbor verse comes from that is so important for both Jesus and James. When he's looking at Leviticus 19, uh, there, there are these commands. It says, don't pervert justice, don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. A lot of this is under the surface in James's teaching. In verse 16, don't go about spreading slander among your people. That one's clearly motivating this, this text. He continues, Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. And then finally in verse 18, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And all of this is um, couched in the words, I am the Lord, which is a different conversation for a different day. But in other words, for someone, potentially a leader in the community, right, because this is who James is often talking to, to slander another human being who is a neighbor made in the image and likeness of God is not only breaking the Levitical law in Leviticus 19.16 that says don't slander, but it's also akin to disapproval of or disregard for the entire Torah, God says, don't slander, but the slanderer has said, nah, 
cool, man. I, I hear you, but certainly this is not the situation that you're talking about. I need to do this. This is something that needs to be shared. This is something that needs to go on Facebook even. In this regard, the slanderer, get this, has placed themselves in the role of God and has decided who is worthy of condemnation. The Levitical law says, don't slander. The slanderer says, I'm going to do that because it's proper and I need to. In their eyes, it's not slandering someone. It's not evil talk. It's truth-telling they feel it is necessary that such a message must be told and retold for the betterment of the community. Now, I, I want to be clear here. James is not prohibiting the proper and necessary discrimination that every Christian should exercise, as Douglas Moo rightly notes. This isn't about that. When I was teaching high school, uh, my students often struggled with Jesus' teaching to not judge. They took it as accept everything as, as you see it. Never call anyone out. I would create the most ludicrous examples for them. Uh, these examples that were screaming out for a friend or even a decent human being to address what might be going on for the safety of those involved, but they would not bite. They somehow equated not judging with never saying anything, as if it was none of their business. Just turn a blind eye, look, look away, because who am I to judge? Who am I to say anything about anything that's happening? This passage is not saying that we should avoid discernment discretion. Uh, I, I don't like the word that Moo uses here as discrimination because it's so loaded, but you get the point, right? Um, it's not saying we should avoid discerning the character of the people around us and whether or not it is beneficial for us to be with them. It, it's not saying that, that we should avoid having hard conversations with people when our discernment leads us to identify these potentially destructive or unchristian habits and practices. There's this, there's this balance between um, seeing things and engaging things. We've been reading this really great book over the last few weeks called Love Matters More, and one of the things that the author Jared Bias is trying to get across is in order to speak the truth in love, you must be in love with the person that you are speaking to. And not in a romantic sense, but there must be relationship there. You must care about the person that you are talking to. And sometimes Christians use this speaking the truth in love as code for, well, I can be a huge jerk and just say whatever I want and completely rip this person to shreds and cover it all with uh, holy and spiritual terminology to make me feel good about myself and to make this person feel terrible about themselves. So there's this fine line here when we discern things, how to have these conversations. But James is not taking that away from us. This passage actually is about deciding one's standing before God and then talking about it with others. Because when we do that, we're placing ourselves in the role of the divine judge and jury. We're identifying one's worth. We're deciding who's in and who's out. And, and then James corrects this misinterpretation in very clear uh, terminology. He says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is 
able to save and destroy. This is kind of like a, uh, you know, just a, a gentle ribbing to his audience here. There's only one person, and besides, this person has massive importance. They're able to save and destroy. Also, people might see more of the Jesus teaching there underneath the surface of what James is saying. So again, even though James is not directly quoting Jesus, Jesus has been really influential in what James is saying, and we see that here. But then James continues with with this really pointed um, phrase, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember, who are you to play the lawgiver and judge? Because you can't save or destroy. How can you say who's in and who's out? That's not your call. Your call is to love your neighbor. Your call is to have hard conversations when you see your neighbor uh, making destructive decisions, when you have relationship with them uh, to protect uh, others in, in their path of potential destruction, like that sort of stuff. Now, I I do wonder if you feel as though with this specification that James has moved beyond you, okay? Like, you can get on board with not slandering in the sense of not gossiping, not talking about others behind their back, watching what you say online, but maybe, maybe you feel it's a bit too far to say that you decide who's in and who's out. Like, maybe it's too far for for you to say, like, I... I, maybe I'm nothing like this person here as, as Josh is describing it and as James is attempting to address. I mean, you have to admit that there's a difference between pointing out to your friend what you perceive to be an overly revealing outfit or an uninformed scientific or political or theological position that one holds or one's general hypocrisy and bigotry and then deciding and determining and judging one's eternal fate, right? I assume that you feel that there's a difference between those two categories uh, of, of discernments. We would ne- we would never, we would never in a million years make a decision on who is worthy of the love and forgiveness of God, right? We would never do that. We would never try to speak for God. That, that's crazy. We would never be so insecure in our acceptance by the divine that we felt a compulsion to justify it by belittling someone else. We, we wouldn't do that. We, we would never act as if we were better than someone else. Worse, we would never actually believe that we are better than someone else. We, we would never reduce someone's humanity to an itemized list of the worst things that they have ever done. I mean, we wouldn't do that. That, that might be what James is talking about, but we're, we wouldn't do that, right? If you're catching my sarcasm here, I'm very grateful. Uh, it shows that you're paying attention and it shows that you ha- can, you know, have normal conversation with people because I'm laying it on pretty thick here. Perhaps if we might want to initially eschew James's teaching here, there, there might be something for us to consider in this passage. Perhaps much like the leaders in the early Jewish Christian community who were jockeying for a position, maybe we too are fueled by our comparison with others. Maybe we've already played the judge and the jury in the lives of, of people. Maybe we have written people off as unworthy or undeserving of God's love because of what they have done to us or to our friends. 
But as James warns, who are we to judge our neighbor? It's not our job. It's, it's ours simply to love. Now, I do not mean that we overlook what happens to us and how we might potentially be hurt by destructive people. That's not what I'm saying here. But it's our job to live out this royal law of love, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that is hard. That demands something from us. The easy thing for us to do is to fill in the blanks on the divine judgment of person X, Y, and Z. That, according to James, is not our job. Perhaps... When we're tempted to reduce someone's humanity by evil talk, maybe maybe we reach out to them. And again, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily about the, the gossipy type stuff. I think James's uh, teaching to us in that situation would be, well, don't do that. That is a reduction of someone's humanity, but don't, don't do that. But if there's something that we need to reach out and have hard conversations with someone, maybe we do that. Perhaps when we determine in our mind who is worthy of God's love and acceptance, maybe we remind ourselves that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps we remember our own story and our own development and our own journey from where we were a year or two years ago or 10 years ago to where we are now, and we've seen the bumps and the bruises, and we afford people grace. Perhaps when we feel threatened by our own insecurity, maybe we can remember that we are children of the Most High God. Perhaps when we're envious, maybe we could remember that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are loved by God, that we are recipients of divine grace. Now, I've said a lot. And if you remember how I introduced this sermon... How I concluded when I was live in person is I actually ascended the high pulpit and I said this. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Go in peace.